Acts chapter 20, we're gonna read about Paul and his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Nicole Gillen, who is on our staff team, is gonna be reading scripture for us today. And this woman has been such a light in my life and to so many in this church. She oversees a lot of the volunteer teams that I was just talking about. And as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, I wanna ask if you're able, would you stand for the reading of scripture from wherever you are? I want to ask that as we're doing this, at the very end, Nicole will say, this is the word of the Lord, and our response is what? Thanks be to God. That's right. We're getting better. We're going to learn how to do this, guys. Nicole, when you're ready, take us there in the scriptures. All right. Good morning, ACC. Um, again, I'll be reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, how real it is 
for us to watch a hero in the faith saying goodbye to a church full of people he loves? And how many verses could we spend days on end expounding on their weight and value and significance? God, I pray that somehow you would empower me right now to make plain what's written into this story for our lives. God, we don't believe that we're just reading a manuscript of a guy's speech from 2,000 years ago. We believe that this is the holy word of the Lord, living and active, sharp. God, where you want to convict, convict. Where you want to stir, stir it up. Where you want to comfort, Come and be gentle and wrap your arms around your people. Holy Spirit, only you can do that in a thousand different situations in a way that's intentional and sensitive. So God, use my voice just as an instrument. God, I yield and allow you to speak through an imperfect vessel right now. We love you and we set this time apart as holy in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, wow. I love preaching through Acts, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this journey, but I'll admit to you, from the very beginning, I've been waiting for this week. This is the passage in Acts that has spoken to me the most personally over the last decade, and I could have preached on this at the very beginning. I'm fired up. I'm fired up, number one, that the, the sermon on demons is behind me because last Sunday, if you, if you missed, some of you are like, wait, what? You need to listen to last Sunday. God moved in a powerful way, but that, that whole passage is just laced with landmines of stuff that people could get confused about or frustrated about. So as you have questions, would love to continue to process that one with you. But God gave me a gift this week in that it was like, okay, right after the really hard one, the bread and butter passage where, I mean, there's so much that Nicole read that I want to hit on heavily. And there's so much that she didn't read that I'm not even going to touch on, which is the second half of Acts chapter 19. If you never read that, there's a riot that breaks out in Ephesus and it doesn't really turn into anything. I think it's just further evidence of everything we talked about last week in the two kingdoms colliding, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And, and there's a big rally to worship the goddess Artemis. And, and, and then it just kind of gets squelched by the, the leadership that's there. But then right after that, there's this bizarre story where Paul's traveling around with his companions and he's spending the last night in one of the cities that he's visiting. So he decides to preach all night. And it says, literally, your Bible says this, as he was going on and on and on and on, that's what Luke says, there was a young guy named Eutychus who fell asleep during his sermon. And he fell asleep against a window that happened to be opened. And they're gathered in an upper room. So this guy, who's probably in the youth group, Eutychus, falls out of a window during Paul's sermon and dies when he hits the ground. And scripture says that Paul runs down there, prays for him, raises him back to life, which, and everybody rejoices, it sounds awesome. I think it would be one of the most awkward moments ever to be Eutychus and be like, wait, what just happened? You died because you fell asleep during my sermon. And if it happens again, I won't do this for you. Like, I just, I can't even envision what that moment was like. That's a cool story that I could have preached on to make really convicting to some of you who that has happened to. And whenever it does happen, just know this. I've, I've learned over time to not just do my 
look up here when I feel like it's losing y'all. Sometimes I do that because I literally see people falling asleep. And to watch their faces just jump and go, wait, he's, oh, yep, I got you back. Look up here. I do that at times. And I could talk about that story. And I could talk about so much that Paul said to the elders in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus for three years, which doesn't sound like a long time for Paul. It's a long, long-term investment for him. And with tears, they're saying goodbye. And Paul is charging the elders of the church on the beauty and the value of the bride of Christ. And he's going, do not forget that the bride is bought with blood. This is a passage specific to elders. And I stand as one of the elders in a church where I could not be more proud of the leadership of this church and how well they model what's being written about in Acts chapter 20. But just need you to know when the elders of this church get together and we start talking about the church we don't do so in a smug, arrogant way, and we don't do so with a hateful tone that is, oh, the church has done so much damage and the church has hurt so many people. Like when we start talking about the bride of Christ being blood-bought and the responsibility of leading sheep, because elder, the word elder literally means pastor, leading you guys to love Jesus deeper. One of our elders, Andy Leisovitz, he always reminds us of this passage and he is like, I have never found the bride of Christ more beautiful and captivating than I do right now. And I just say that about our elder table across this church because I would love for that to seep out to thousands of people. It's gotten real trendy to slam the church. And some of that's rightful for things that have happened over the last few decades. But I also want to say, if anyone in our church is dealing with church hurt, I think it's super important that you clarify who hurt you in the church. Because a lot of times, it's not the church that hurt you. It's an imperfect person who took advantage of a position in the church or or something that had a lot more to do with a situation than the big picture, big C church, which is the bride of Christ. I just think you need to be careful if you start talking negatively about the only entity in the scriptures that is called the bride of Christ. If you hate God's church, that's a big deal. And we gotta make sure that when we talk about the word church, we're doing so with a reverence and an appreciation for the beauty of what has been bought eternally to be united with Jesus. But today, I just felt called to hone in on this one section. And it's the section that includes our theme verse for the year, which is Acts 20, 24. Before we study it deeply, I wanna give you the title of this sermon. And like I said, I could hit all of those things I talked about before, but we're just gonna gonna hone in on this one little section. Today's sermon, long title, is called Led by the Spirit of God into the plan of God, led by the spirit of God into the plan of God. So if you didn't notice this, Paul goes, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm compelled by the spirit. If you watch Paul's missionary journeys, it's kind of all over the place. And this gives you a window in how he makes decisions about where he goes next. He's led by the spirit. I don't give a lot of leadership talks. Part of that is because I'm 35 years old. I don't think I'm like the wise sage about leadership by any means. But if I ever get asked a question about leading a family or leading an organization or leading anything, I automatically jump the conversation to spiritual leadership because I believe in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a great leader. There are only great followers. Like the best leaders in the kingdom of God are following the voice of a shepherd who's leading them on not trying to pioneer and blaze their own trail. 
And if you want to know today whether or not you're in the will of God, whether or not you're living for God's plan for your life, it has a lot more to do with whether or not you're tuning your life to the voice of your shepherd than it does with whether or not you're conjuring up all this energy to end up in this place and lead this big thing. Even for a guy like Paul, who's all over the place blazing new trails for the glory of God, he's going, no, 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 I only go where I'm going because I am compelled by the Spirit. And if you want an inner clarity that you are in the will of God, you have got to stop making your efforts to discover God's will all about external voices. I want to talk about the will of God today. I want to talk about God's plan for your life individually. But how often when we're talking about God's will or we're talking about making decisions or we're wondering, am I where God wants me to be? Am I doing what God's called me to do? Am I living with the heartbeat he's called me to live with right here and right now? We make that pursuit a lot more about external voices than we do about the inner voice of the spirit. And we ask everyone and anyone for advice, particularly people who tell us the thing that we were already going to do anyway. We consult books, we're looking on podcasts. I mean, everything is is external, which is not a bad thing. I think you need to read books, especially this one. I think you need to seek wisdom from other people. But so often, our pursuit of wisdom is, is, is just a guise to get an echo chamber of what we're really leaning toward in the first place. What if the inner compass of your life became the inner compass of Paul's life, which is this still, small voice that compels you and restrains you and prompts you and pulls you into everything God has called you to be. I'm asking you, do you hear God? Because more than being a Christian is about pioneering or blazing a trail for yourself. It is about being a dependent sheep who stays close enough to the shepherd to hear his voice and respond to what he says. Are you compelled on an inner level with the power of the Holy Spirit? No passage of scripture has pushed me more in my lifetime like this passage. And so today is a wide net of people this is gonna connect to. If you're going through a transition in life right now, this is probably gonna connect. If you're going, I don't know if it's that job or that job. I don't know if it's hiring this person or this person. I don't know if it's a breakup or the altar. I don't know if it's that road or that road. This is really going to feel like it's personal because the clarity that Paul has is a clarity that you want. But at the same time, most of you are not there. Most of you, it's just about, am I being faithful where my feet are, like we've been talking about in this series? Because if the road God is building for my life looks like faithfulness in the now, how do I know whether or not I'm being faithful right now? And we've never had a moment in our church where I have felt more convicted about the people we ignore when we talk about the will of God like Thursday night. Thursday night at worship night was so beautiful, but there was a moment where I ask people, hey, if you think God's calling you to full-time ministry, vocational ministry, stand up, and all these young college students stood up, if you think God's calling you to foreign missions, specifically to people who have never heard the name of Jesus, unreached people groups, stand up, and so many of them stood up. It's like, oh my gosh, we got such an opportunity over the next couple of decades in this church. And then I said, if you feel like God's calling you to be, or you are right now, a stay-at-home mom, stand up. And, And you could feel the disorientation in the room of like, Oh, going to be a pastor, going to be a missionary, already a mom, or headed toward raising up the next generation at home. And I was so moved by what God did during that time because I think so often when we talk about the will of God and ambition and futuristic paths, we ignore the simple reality that sometimes being compelled by the Spirit means joyfully serving faithfully where your feet are, even when it feels insignificant. 
And even when it feels like just another day, and even when it feels like I'm not on this big grand path like Paul going from Ephesus to Jerusalem, I'm just picking up my kid's playroom for them to destroy it again. I think this is gonna connect to your life. How do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, how do you have clarity that you are in the will of God and you are being led by the spirit of God into his will? Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, honing in on three verses. This is going to speak to you in a powerful way. Are you ready to study the word of God? Here it is. And now, circle that, now. So in any given moment, what does it mean to assess whether or not I am where God's called me to be? And now, compelled by the spirit. That word compelled can mean prompted or it, it, it can kind of mean enslaved. It means like tied up. Like I am so prompted on the inside. I have to do this even if I didn't want to. Compelled by the spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. There it is, Acts 20, 24, theme for the year. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only ambition is finishing this one thing God has called me to do which looks like testifying to the good news of the gospel that Jesus has made a relationship with God available through his blood and you can walk as a son or a daughter of the living God in the kingdom of God that you will live in forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. But in this passage, now this week, we're seeing the context. That's not an off-the-cuff mark from Paul of like, I want to say something really inspirational for ACC in 2024. No, this is Paul talking in a speech he's giving about a very difficult decision he has just made. And he says, here's what I'm doing. I'm compelled by the Spirit, and I don't even know what's going to happen to me when I get where I'm going. I only know I'm going to be punished a lot and it's gonna be hard, but I don't care because I've already considered my life and everything that was gained to me, I consider loss. I've already put that down at the feet of Jesus. And now, because I have this focus, because I have this clarity about who I am and what I'm called to do, I can make even a difficult decision with full clarity that I'm walking in the will of God. ACC, look at me, look at me. You want Paul's clarity in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. You want to know when you're making decisions and when you're faithful where you are in your life, this is what it means for me to be faithful. But you're not gonna get that clarity unless you get the kind of agreement that Paul has with the Holy Spirit, with the fact that it's not going to be easy, and more than anything, with the fact that it's not even going to be about him. And so all I want to do today is go verse by verse, section by section, word by word through what you just read and show you in any given situation, what does it mean to have clarity that I am in the will of God and what are the factors that guide me? I read Acts chapter 20 one night in the spare bedroom of this house in Kennesaw, Georgia that me and Courtney were living in before we moved here. And it was these very verses that had me sign off. I had just finished three years of ministry in a youth group that I was in and I thought it was cool that Paul was finishing three years in Ephesus and I'd felt the release from that and we're coming to Auburn. And I remember journaling one night in January. I 
bet it was January 21st. I'll check that later today. It's just hitting me now because that's today. That would be so weird. I'll, I'll get that journal out after I preach three times this morning today and I'll know by the five whether or not. That would be so cool though if it was. I think it might've been the 20th, still cool. But just because I, I remember like photographs in my head. Anyway, I remember reading this and feeling the release. We're headed to Auburn to start a church. How, how do you know? How do you know that you're in the will of God? So I got four things. They come straight out of this passage and we'll just read through them together. Number one, is this helpful for anybody? Is this good? All right, we're going there. We're going there. These, these four things will help you so much. Number one, the compelling of the Holy Spirit. What does Paul say? And now compelled by the Spirit. You cannot be submitted to God's will if you have no familiarity with the voice of his Spirit. Think of the greatest leaders through the story of the Bible. What do they have in common? Dependence on the voice. Moses has to lead God's people through one of the most impossible journeys and one of the most hard punishments when they don't get to go right in the promised land because they lack faith. How does he lead them? Cloud by day, fire by night. In fact, when God releases the people to take the blessing of the land without his presence, Moses says no. And he says, I don't even want this if you're not in it. Like, no, we didn't come here for the blessing. We came here to be close to you. And if you want to know confidently that God's will for your life is what you are truly walking in, it begins with an understanding that it must be his voice that I become tuned to. So I want to ask you the question, as much as you seek out external voices for the will of God, do you know the voice of God in the secret place? Do you and God have a relationship where he not only has permission, but he has practice of whispering directions to you that you hear and respond to in real time? I realize this is a tough point for a lot of you who are brand new to your faith. And that's a lot of you in this church, and that's a good thing. But God's voice is always something that over time you are growing in maturity to discern. And if you have a secret life hidden away in the presence of God with a God you can know, I would argue this is the number one factor that causes you to be able to decide. I know with clarity. I'm, I'm walking where God's called me to walk. I'm paying attention to the things God's called me to pay attention to. But there are so many of us who are in name Christian, who have no secret level of going into the presence of God and listening for that still small voice that can guide us through. You have a God you can know. Guys, that's the prize of all of this. I tried to wake our church up on Christmas Eve of like, hey, I know, big holiday, a lot of gifts being given out, a lot of things could get lost in all the noise and things we celebrate at Christmas. You guys do realize why Jesus came, right? He came to lay down his life so that you can have a right relationship with your heavenly father and walk in it filled with the power of the spirit right here, right now. So why are you not doing that? Like every day, who cares if it's December 25th? Like what, why are you not taking advantage of this gift that has literally been laid in your lap? What did the blood of Jesus accomplish for you? It accomplished confidence in the most holy place. Do you realize how ridiculous that is to a Jewish mind to go sinful humanity can enter into the most holy place of the tabernacle with confidence before God. That is unheard of. 
There's one person who does that. He does that one time a year and he better come with blood and a sacrifice or we might have to pull him out. You guys hear the bells ring? Because they would have these bells just in case they just fell out in the presence of God because they were guilty of some sin and they drag them out and go, okay, next priest up. Who's going in next year? Guys, this is unbelievable that we have unadulterated access to the living God. And yet for some of us, it's the last factor we think through to consult when we're making major or minor decisions about our lives the compelling of the Holy Spirit, this is what Jesus came to give you. And if you want to grow in your knowledge, understanding, and response time to his voice, you have to actually give God the space to speak. And this is not as awesome or as powerful as it sounds. I've watched some of you during 21 days of prayer. You guys look tired and bored sometimes. That's awesome. Prayer changes you through the practice of prayer, not just through the overwhelming moments. And there are some mornings you come in here and it's like God speaking. Like the first verse you read, you're like, yes, I needed that. Oh, that song, yes, I needed that. But some mornings you go, I honestly probably should have slept in. None of this is hitting me and I'm just going through the motions. Yeah, but at least you showed up. Just showing up, you need to listen to what Michael Fagan said at 21 Days yesterday, it was so powerful. Just showing up in the presence of God gives you the practice over time of tuning your life to the voice of God. And so I ask you today, what does it mean to be compelled by the Holy Spirit? It means to have an inner relationship with God where the ultimate compass of your clarity is being filled with Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that is not to say that you're a rogue Christian who just gets his directions in private and then tells everybody, this is what I'm gonna do. No, 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 consult the word of God. By the way, this is the voice of God. This is how God speaks to you. So if you're going, what am I doing? Am I just sitting there waiting to hear something? No, I'm staying there tuning in my eyes to the voice of what he has said through his word and letting it pour into my life. But have you been compelled personally by the power of the Holy Spirit? And how do you build your life around tuning yourself to that voice? It begins with the compelling of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't stop there. Let's read the next part. He says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Point two, you have the embracing of uncertainty. Paul embraces it. He goes, yeah, I know I'm going to Jerusalem. And I have no idea what's going to happen to me when I get there. This is going to comfort so many people today. The Apostle Paul is on another level of knowing Jesus than you are. I hope, is everybody okay with that? Like he's, he's on another level. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Like I don't need to argue that at all. Okay. Even Paul, when he gets explicit directions from God about where to go, does not receive a map from God or details about the plan. Paul, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I have no idea what's going to happen. If Paul is saying that about his future, how much more do you and I need to learn to embrace the things about our story that we don't have an explanation for yet, that we would rather have a plan for, that we would rather have a map about and just go, you know what? Instead of uncertainty being the thing that I constantly run from and avoid like the plague, I gotta throw my arms around what I don't know about the plan so that my life is open to be filled by faith. Because here's the thing, and I am a person who loves planning. I love a map. I love to know this is where we're gonna be. This is the reservation that we have. This is this what's gonna happen all in order. But here's what I've found. If you have all the details about the story that God is building in front of you, you have pulled out the one ingredient that God uses to show up and surprise you in a powerful way. You know what that ingredient is? Faith. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for and the certainty of things unseen. 
So if you don't see it, it means there's a certain level of uncertainty of a, I don't see it, but I'm sure. But I'm not so sure that, that I've like put sight on it. No, we walk by faith, not by sight. So the more you learn to embrace what you can't control about something, the more you learn to create space for God to fill an area of your life that he desperately wants to show off in. And so even though I'm not great at this, 10 years into this like church planting journey, if you want to call it that, I think I'm getting a lot better at this. Because at the very beginning, I wanted to know, is this going to work? Where are we going to meet? How's this going to go? Who's going to be there? How's it going to work out? And in 10 years of time together, I've just come to find out that when you don't know and you give God space, he really likes getting the credit for showing off and doing better than you thought you would or you thought your best laid plans were going to be made. I mean, I've gotten so like comfortable with this that now when something is uncertain, I actually create this expectation in me that goes, hold on. This might end up better than anything I could control or manipulate because God, God's hand is on it. Here's the great news. We're 10 years in as a church, and I have never been more uncertain about what in the world we are going to do next. And here's what's funny about that is that we had all these seasons as a church where I would get up on a Sunday and I would go, hey guys, I don't even know where we're meeting next week. Look, just try to look out on social media or maybe somebody will tell you and we'll let you know like where church is. You talk about uncertainty. That was crazy, but here's, here's what's hilarious about that. The past 10 years, I've always in the back of my mind kind of known what I thought was going to happen next, and it always did. The next venue was always there. I knew we'll probably rent a temporary space and build a permanent space, which we did. It's right here, Hamilton Road. But now that we're 10 years in, guys, I kid you not, I have no idea what we are going to do now. There's, there's, this is our early gathering. So there'll, there'll be more at our 11 and then who knows what's happening at Airport Road where I gotta go and preach in like 20 minutes. Um, like I, we're, we're so maxed out and I don't have a plan. And that's not me saying that so that when I come out here with the plan and go, look how good God is, guys, we got the plan. Like literally, as I stand here today, don't have a plan at all. But there's a part of my spirit in that uncertainty that goes, what in the world might God be up to when I have no idea what is around the corner of what is next? I realize this is so much easier to say than to do, but for Paul to go, I don't know what this road is going to look like for me. You do realize that he's stepping into a really dangerous situation, going, I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what's around the corner with your life, but I do know you will be at odds with God if you fight uncertainty for the rest of your life. You will be at odds. He is not going to lay out explicitly every detail of the plan, but he does give you what you need more than the plan, which is his presence. God doesn't tell Joshua, here's how we're gonna take the land in Joshua one. God tells Joshua, I'll be with you. So how do you embrace uncertainty? By doing number one, are you compelled by the spirit? Make it your pursuit and your ambition more to hear from God privately than to get the directions from God about what is next. And I promise you, through his still small voice and all of these little comforting ways, you will know the next step you're supposed to take. A lamp for your feet and a light for your path is the word of God. That lamp in scripture was not like headlights where you could see two miles down the road. It was like a candle by your feet to take the next step because God gives enough clarity for us to take the next step, but not enough certainty to eliminate faith. He will not do that. 
So take whatever level of certainty he's given you, but embrace the uncertainty and go, God, I know you are in it. And I don't just mean that for Auburn. You know who I have more uncertainty about? You guys in Birmingham. We have no idea how that's going to work out. Mark, we're praying for you. But uh, we just like being comforted by there's somebody else who has more uncertainty than us. So you guys work on that. Okay, number three. What does he say next? Okay, there is one thing I do know. Prison and hardships are facing me. Number three, the expectation of resistance. The expectation of resistance. I love Paul. Yeah, hey guys, I have no idea what's gonna happen to me next. Oh, I do know one thing. It's gonna be bad. The only thing he knows is that it's going to be hard. I love that he expects the resistance because for far too many of us, when resistance hits our journey, we assume that something has gone awry instead of seeing it beforehand as the thing that you knew was coming and that produces in you an even more deep reliance on who God is. Like everything else in life, expecting resistance doesn't make the thing you are about to do easy, but it does make it way more likely that you're going to endure it. Like if you're going into a workout and you're going, I, I'm hoping that no resistance happens in this workout, that is not going to benefit you. The more you anticipate that I'm gonna have to fight through this and I'm gonna have to, guess what? The, the better the experience is going to be. It doesn't mean that any of it's going to be easy. It just means it's highly likely that you're gonna go through this with a spirit and on a level that's gonna endure it and have something left on the other side of this. The, the expectation of resistance over time makes you stop being so likely to curl up into a ball and tap out everything, something doesn't go according to plan, or every time something ends up harder than it is. Because you need to understand this. You're being led by a good shepherd who has good plans for you. I love that we sang that song earlier. But here's the thing. God's number one ambition in his will for your life is not to make your life easier. And he does make your life easier, a lot easier. He, he does provide, bring miracles. He does want to bring you into the kingdom of the son he loves for all of eternity. He does a lot of things to make your life easier. But his number one ambition is not to make your life easier. His number one ambition is to make your life meaningful. And there is not a meaningful life lived for the glory of God, absent of pain and real resistance. And Paul goes, I don't know what's gonna happen in Jerusalem, but I do know it's gonna get bad for me. Maybe knowing in your spirit ahead of time that things are going to get hard will become the faith that you need when things do get difficult, when there is persecution, when there are lies, when it doesn't look like it's working for you to continue to press on. I just want to remind some of you, if you want an easy, comfortable life, then the will of God is not for you. If that's your number one goal, God's will is not an option. But here's what's crazy about that. You know what's a lot more unsafe than being in the will of God? being outside of it. So the lie that the enemy puts together is that there's this comfortable, easygoing life and this pathway that sinners take. And the writer of Proverbs tells us that is a mirage. You think it's easier on this side, but it ends up with a host of consequences and slavery that doesn't get shown to you on the front end. In the same way, I want to tell you, even though the will of God is a dangerous place, and Pastor John Thompson will be talking about that next Sunday, and even though it will be hard, and even though you will have to endure, so much more worth it because of where we're going eternally, and so much more joy-filled because you're going to suffer anyway. I don't want this to be a depressing part of the message, but following Jesus or not following Jesus, this world's broken. You're going through pain. It's going to be hard. The question is whether or not you want your pain to be meaningful in the end. 
And if you get to the place where you go, I'm expecting the resistance, living in a broken world, surrounded by chaos, then now I will have the faith to endure. I only know that imprisonments and hardships are facing me. What's the last part? Point number four. This is it, guys. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Number four, the clarity of mission. The clarity of mission. This is what I do know. I've got my sights set on finishing my race. Paul has an uncommon transcendent clarity that we all want. And it only happens because his will has become bent to the will of the Father. Now everybody look at me and do not miss what I'm about to say. I'm I'm almost done, we're gonna take communion, we're gonna go into the presence of God, but I gotta say this. The biggest problem I see with our church in negotiating with God about his will is the assumption that God is this master planner in heaven who has billions and billions of different individual plans for people that he's just divvying out depending on who's listening and who's not listening. They're just in heaven going, okay, John got you, Ronnie got you, Susan got you, Sarah got you. Did you hear this, John? Did you, because I got to come back to you on that. Okay, did it? And it's like, I've got all these billions of plans that if somebody would just listen to me, they would discover my will. And so what we all do is we go, okay, I got to find that one thing, that one calling that God has for miles and that one thing that God has for me and my story. And God has made you individually for a purpose, no doubt. But in pursuing God's will, it's way less about God having billions of plans he's divvying out for people's lives than it is about God having one plan that people surrender their plans and join in on and discover God's plan over time. It's not, hey, everybody figure out what your individual thing is. It's like, hey, everybody put your individual thing down and make it your one clarity, ambition to chase after what God is about. God has a plan, God has a will, and it is about God. And if you join into his plan for your life, guess what you discover over time? The individual plan. But it's not one before the other. It's not, God, give me my instructions, give me my directions. It's like, God, what? You seem to be up to something. Like you didn't give me a book about my life. You gave me a book about you. Maybe the pursuit of God's will is way more, I consider my narrative, my story, my relationships, my money, like nothing. My only aim is finishing my race, which is what? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, you cannot be in the will of God at a micro level if you're not there at a macro level. And God's will is so much more about obeying his revealed ways than it is about discovering his concealed will. And if you're in a constant arm wrestling match with God of, I need to see it, I need you to show me, I need you to reveal instead of, hold on God, what have you already revealed cover to cover in the scriptures? You are building a kingdom And there's a king named Jesus and he will reign forever and ever and he has made it possible for sinners to come into a right relationship with God regardless of what they're carrying in their past, regardless of what nation or ethnicity they were born into, regardless of what kind of baggage they have from the hurt of their upbringing. Oh my goodness, that's what you're you're doing in the world? Well, why don't I just lay down everything I wanna see and everything I wanna do with my life and just say, God, you can have all of me, however you wanna use me, whenever you wanna use me, wherever you wanna use me. Are you spirit-filled surrendered today, church? 
Are you to that place where you go, you know what, I've, I've laid down my plan so you can show me your plan because I've said this so many times in our church, but I believe it today. God's will is not a map, it's a match. And God will light your way if you are set on fire for his glory. The most important pursuit you can make today is are you still in love with Jesus? And does his love light your way? So for some of you, this moment is about coming back to your first love and just being reminded, hey, stop putting God at your boardroom table and laying out, this is what I'd love to see in five, 10 years, and start just letting yourself relax into the arms of your father and be loved and admit out loud, this is not about me. This is all about you. Here's your clarity on the will of God. Y'all look at me, led by the spirit of God into the will of God, the compelling of the Holy Spirit, the embrace of uncertainty, the expectation of resistance, more than anything, the clarity of mission. Jesus, you be exalted in my life because you are worthy of everything. You can get your elements out for communion right now. I wanna set up this time. If you didn't get one at any of our locations, raise your hand high, our team will bring them to you. As, as least distracting as we can make this moment, I want husbands praying over wives and I want lives submitted to the plans and the will of God. Maybe today was a reminder that you have been trying to blaze a trail yourself and it's about returning to just tuning your heart to the voice. I don't know what these moments are like for you, but these moments are a gift for us as a church. These are set aside for those of you who have surrendered to Jesus. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, this moment would be a great moment to start. But you can just leave that communion cup under your seat. We'll come and pick it up later. But if you do know Jesus, now is your time. Come before the Father with full confidence because of what the blood has done on your behalf. Remember that you are forgiven. Remember that you are his. And let's let the voice of God speak to people right where they are today. Y'all are blessed to enter into this time of communion and then we'll come back and sing in just one minute.